Welcome into another episode of Behind the Catch Fence. I'm your host, David Hoffman. We are officially at episode 16. And before I begin, I'd like to give a quick shout out to No Copyright Music on YouTube. They're the ones creating the music that I'm playing. It's obviously No Copyright Music, so it's free. I'd like to thank you guys for that. With me being a broke college student, I'm grateful for you guys. Go subscribe to them. No Copyright Music. Last week, we had sportscaster Alan Bestwick on the show, and it was a real joy being able to hear about his experiences covering motorsports over the years. If you haven't listened to that episode yet, you should go check it out. Today, we have another outstanding guest whose name has become iconic all around the world for over half a century. Our special guest today is none other than the Mario Andretti. Even if you've never watched racing a day of your life, you know the name Andretti. Without further introduction, sit back and enjoy this phenomenal interview with the legendary Mario Andretti. Hello, David. Hey, Mr. Andretti. How are you doing today? Great, great. How are you? Good. How are you? Oh, I already said that. (laughs) Yeah, we're good. We're good. (laughs) We're still alive. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, this is uh, Behind the Catch Fence IndyCar Podcast. Um, so grateful to have you on today. My pleasure. My pleasure. Uh, so uh, what have you been up to with the uh, quarantine going on so far? Have you just been staying home for the most part? or? Yeah, I was suffering like uh, everyone else, you know, hunkering down. Uh, obviously, uh, you just have to follow protocol and, uh, <clears throat> and just uh, hope that we can get to work as soon as possible <clears throat> we're all jumping at the bit i uh i'm happy to see that um you know thanks to uh, roger penske uh, and uh his uh, vision that at least uh you know indycar has a plan in place i'm sure you know some things uh you know could be uh, open for uh, uh you know reassessing but uh at least has a plan in place and i like i like that uh, so, uh, again, uh, I think, uh, it looks like there's some light at the end of the tunnel on this, uh, pandemic. And, uh, and again, I can't stress enough, um, how much, uh, you know, I'm ready to go personally. I, I can tell you that. I'm sure you're chomping at the bit to get back to that two seater. <laughs> all of it, you know, all of it. I'm, uh, in constant, you know, in touch with, uh, you know, of course my, grandson and uh michael uh i mean you know he's got all these irons in the fire and so forth and uh and from all the, the different fronts that he's involved in you know he just uh, he, he can't wait either you know he's got everybody standing by and ready to go but there's a lot of energy all pent up right now and uh, uh you know I, I kept saying i want to see traffic on the roads i want to see the airports being uh you know totally overflow with people. I want to see all those things that used to, you know, annoy me. Now, uh, I'll never be annoyed again about being in traffic. <laughs> <laughs> That's for sure. Uh, how often have you taken out that 94 Laguna Seca car in your driveway to do a couple of donuts to pass the time? <laughs> <laughs> uh, if I knew how to start it, <laughs> I would. <laughs> I need a mechanic. It's, uh, you know, to get it started, it has a fresh engine in it, but, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, the, the, urge, the urge is there for sure. <laughs> I saw recently on Instagram that you've been working on writing a memoir. How is that coming along, and what are some things that we can expect to see in it? Well, 
you know, that's what, you know, memoirs is about going into detail about, uh, you know, parts of the life that uh, have, uh, you know, that uh, I think have made a difference, uh, uh, critical points and all those things, I guess. Um, but uh, thanks to this uh, uh, virus situation, which has me all pent up, um, we felt that, that this is a good time to, um, you know, to, to to devote the time to it because uh, it's going to take quite a bit of, of work there. And otherwise, I would have never ventured into this project, even though I've been approached. Uh, but um, uh, here we go. So uh, I, you know, quite honestly, uh, uh, you can be bored, but uh, we're we're very busy. I have you know many interviews on. Uh, you know, almost every day I have uh, one, two, three interviews, and and uh, there are a lot of things that uh, keep me busy, but not busy in the way that I want to be. So, but we are making the best use of our downtime for sure. Oh, definitely. Uh, you've been asked countless questions and been interviewed by thousands of media members throughout the years. Do you ever get tired of being interviewed and answering the same exact questions? No, well, not really, because uh, I. Uh, I cherish the fact that there's interest out there. If there, if I'm asked questions, uh, you know, from uh, different uh, media outlets, uh, that means there's some interest out there, and that's the main thing. You know, we want to keep talking about the business that we love. Uh, we all have, have opinions. We all have some sort of input, us, you know, here and there. And um, you know, you learn something every day. I learn something. I try to stay as informed as possible on all all fronts of motorsports and um and again yeah no that's uh, that's part of our world part of my world and uh throughout all the times you've been interviewed what's a question that you're surprised you haven't been asked before uh what time i get up in the morning <laughs> that's a good question <laughs> what time did you wake up this morning Seven <laughs> twenty-five. <7:25. laughs> <laughs> man i really slept in then oh uh, gosh yeah <laughs> uh you've driven on all types of tracks around the world what would you say were some of the most demanding and difficult tracks that you've been able to race on well what comes to mind uh, i think uh the, the nurburgring the old nurburgring you know when uh when it was still active uh uh you know to the you know, the first time there I was in 1969, and then I think the last time was in 77, I think. Uh, and uh, anyway, uh, yeah, that's one. And, and the other one that was daunting for me was the Pikes Peak Hill Climb. because And the reason for that is because you never get to really learn a property unless you do it several times. And, uh, and I never had the luxury of... Uh, of doing any pre-runs or, you know, like, uh, for instance, the Pikes Peak when, you know, the answers, why were they all that good, the great race drivers, but also they knew every corner, every, you know, uh, every reference point and everything about the place. That's why they were unbeatable. And to do that, you had to sort of spend time. And again, only during the off season, uh, off weekends of the race and this just, go up and down, go up and down, go up and down. And the Nürburgring was the same thing. But, um, you know, I didn't have the luxury of time. 
So when I'd show up, it would be a race weekend. And uh, one, I think the first time I even rented a sports car, you know, so I could uh, uh, go around and they won't let me because, uh, you know, I was secured by other reasons. And uh, so the first time that I actually got on the Nürburgring was in a race car during official practice. Now, how daunting was that? Yes, <laughs> I still remember it. Scared the devil out of myself. Oh, I'm sure. And with Pike's Peak, how was like how? What was probably the most daunting thing just about going up, you know, all the way up to the top with that track? Well, the daunting part was that uh, you never really get to do the whole course on a race weekend until race day because uh, the practices they they um, they uh, the section everything in three groups, so you get to do uh, the the one third and then the middle third and then the top, you know, in practice. So you never get to do the whole thing officially with a race car. And that was and on, on, on race day, you take a lot of risks because um, many of the reference points that you find a big rock or whatever, because they have no, you know, shut off points. Uh, some of those are hidden because all of a sudden you have a lot of people there on the sideline. So, a big surprise and oh my god that's another one that my heart was beating probably 500 beats a second when i was when i probably got to the top but um yeah i i took probably more risks there than i did maybe the entire season uh, in 69 when i won it wow that's insane uh you've been able to drive virtually everything imaginable over the years in motorsports what would you say was the most challenging car you've ever had to race and what made it so challenging well, uh, usually, I, I think uh, I would say uh, for, for me, as far as uh, the challenge was always getting to uh, any uh, category outside of uh, my specialty for the first time. <clears throat> so, you know, to get a first time I got in a Can-Am car, you know, a sports car, the first time that I got in a NASCAR stock car. It's always when you do it the first time and and because you have to do so much to discover uh, for the rest of it uh, what makes your job easier or harder is the quality of the equipment the competitiveness at the moment um, I give you for instance uh, you know I thought that the biggest challenge for me to get into a Formula One car for the first time uh, and that was probably the for me, the easiest transition that I ever found in of any discipline. So, all of that varies, and I, like I said, it has a lot to do with the competitiveness of the car. Um, the first time that I was invited Daytona, you know, was uh, with uh, uh, Smokey Unic car, and uh, what I didn't know that uh, since I was a rookie there, he wanted to experiment with me on track setups you know which were crazy crazy weird setups i didn't know and i was out there i figured oh my god is this a bad these cars are you know and then you get you figure man these guys are real heroes you know to be able to drive that fast with the cars they're so they're so evil that was the most evil car i've ever drove driven in my life as far as a stock car then the following year, when I get into a Hellman Moody car, I say, oh, my God, you know, this is, you know, it's a whole new world. So, you know what I mean? So when you're a rookie and, and uh, 
you move around, uh, you get a few surprises, you know. So I have plenty of those. Believe me, I could write a book about those. <laughs> and just, you know, when it comes to setting up the car, you know, any type of car, how has that evolved over the years? Well, it's uh, for me, I always found that uh, one of the most important aspects uh, of uh, really helping yourself and to do the job the best way possible is to to learn as much as you could about the different dynamics of the race car. You know, it's uh, suspension dynamics uh, and aerodynamics, uh, uh, engine configurations and all of that. And the more you know, the more that uh, you, uh, you can develop a feel for those things, the, the better, you can, better you can help yourself to do the job because uh, a race car is an animal with uh, so many different adjustments. And uh, you just got to know what you need as much as possible with the help of the engineers. And uh, there's no magic wand anywhere, but uh, knowledge is still knowledge. And uh, and so, uh, again, the more you can put your finger on situations, uh, setups, the better off you'll be no matter where you go, because uh, ultimately, no matter what you're driving, um, as far as the category or the discipline, uh, you're looking for one thing, balance. And the balance is something that every racing driver recognizes. So, um, you know, those are the aspects of uh, what makes it challenging. And uh, you've been in countless events and races over the years. What are some races that stick out to you as ones that you feel you could look back on and cherish the most? Well, uh, gosh, I mean, it's uh, uh, races that I really cherish was, uh, you know, and I wanted to really do well. It was like the Italian Grand, you know, in Monza, for instance, where you know, as a young lad uh, still living in Italy, that's where uh, my twin brother Aldo and I saw our very first big races and and things like that. Uh, uh, There's other places, the most challenging places, something that you'd like to uh, to go at again. Um, uh, I. I try not to uh, uh, to sort of uh, uh, put a uh, uh, how should I say a preference, you know, to any particular tracks or say I really like this one or I don't like that one because I try to keep an even mindset, you know, that I like all of it. I didn't want to go somewhere with a, any negative uh, uh, vision in me, so. Um, uh, that's really the way I operated my entire career. Uh, so, but uh, there are some that obviously uh, seem like are more challenging than others for sure. And those are the ones that you'd like to revisit. Now, were there any individuals that influenced you in a big way just throughout your career, not only as a driver, but as a person as well? Well, uh, I think uh, you go back to, I go back to the beginning, you know, there's, uh, there's always, someone that uh, you look for inspiration, you know, the hero, uh, which uh, at the very beginning when I was in my young teenager was uh, Ascar, Albert Ascari um, in Italy. And then later on, once I became, uh, you know, early early on, as I said, in that era when I was, you know, became fascinated with the sport, you know, it was Ascari, it was, you know, Sterling Moss, it was Fanjo, you know, someone... Heroes of that of the of the moment, and uh, and later on when you uh, 
when you're active, when I became active as a race driver, uh, they always looked up to whoever was uh, the yardstick, you know, in whatever category I was in, you know, and started major was looking at Len Duncan, Dutch Schaefer, you know, those were the guys that were uh, setting the standard. And, uh, and because they were so good and they, you know, they, uh, if you were going to try to beat them, you had to raise your game and, and uh, really work hard at it. I uh, got into Formula One when I first did it. You know, it was uh, Jackie Stewart was uh, the Yarsic. When I got into IndyCars at the top level, it was A.J. Foyt, for instance. And uh, there were others, you know, but uh, you look at the guy that was doing the most winning. You know, those are the guys that you uh, uh, inspire you the most because uh, if you can, if you can uh, be at the same level as they are, uh, you have a chance of beating them, you know, and things like that. So it's always, a, uh, no matter what decades, there's always somebody that sets a standard, and that's who you want to emulate or even do better. Those are the ones that uh, raise your game uh, if you have the pride and the desire to really go out there and just not race but win. And speaking of A.J. Foyt, uh, what made him, well, what separated him from, you know, the majority of racers that you've been able to compete against? Well, I liked his versatility as well. You know, he was uh, he was good in sprint cars. Uh, he was good in stock cars. And, uh, you know, and he moved around, you know. He had, and I, I like to see that. So that was an inspiration in itself. Uh, and, uh, and so... Uh, again, that's what that's what it's all about. Uh, you, you know, you go after somebody that can pretty much win wherever they, you know, whatever they go in, whatever category they go, and then uh, you said, you know what, uh, that's really awesome, and that's what you want to go after. During the 80s and 90s, what was it like being able to just race alongside your son Michael as his career began to progress in the IndyCar series? Well, it was... <laughs> It was amazing, you know, I never knew what to expect, you know, at the beginning, uh, you don't, you know, and you said, how are you going to treat it? And it turned out to be, you know, it was uh, some of the best moments of my career, really, mainly because, you know, he was so competitive and because he he was competitive, he was obviously my younger self, that's what I could see out there. And uh, I think he uh, uh, he contributed in, in uh, probably prolonging my career, uh, if you will, because there was a lot of pride and uh, he was at the top of his game, you know, and I was already much, you know, deep in my career and ready to basically retire. But he, uh, uh, I think he put a lot of uh, energy into me just by, you know, just me wanting to, uh, you know, to continue to be on and say, you know what? Uh, I got to try to prove to myself that I can, you know, still do it as well as I ever could and all that, all of that. So all that played. And then when I look back, even now, at, uh, at, you know, what we did in IndyCar, especially, you know, by being on podium 15 times together. And uh, we were uh, on the front row of an IndyCar race 10 times and we were first and second five times. Now, you know, how sweet is that? And looking back as a family, you know, uh, I keep saying this with a lot of pride. In 86, at Pocono, you know, there was uh, my younger son was the um, with the supporting event. 
you know, which was the ARS, you know, which was the Indy Lights of today. And uh, Jeff was uh, on pole for that race and also won that race. And Michael was on pole for the 500. And I won the Pocono 500. Between the three of us, we cleaned house that weekend. Now, as a family, I think we had every right to celebrate. <laughs> we did. Um, nobody else, no, not too many other people, including the press, paid much attention to it, but we did. Um, you know, and uh, having, you know, Michael, uh, my uh, nephew John, and myself uh, driving factory Porsche Le Mans, you know, and uh, uh, being on podium, at three and radius on podium at uh, Milwaukee in 1991, uh, having four of the same family uh, starting, you know, being started at Indy, the Indy 500. Uh, in 91 and 92, you know, it was uh, Michael, Jeff, and my nephew, John, and myself um, uh, being Rookies of the Year. You know, we had three generations Rookie of the Year. It was, it was, um, Mike, it was well, Marco, Michael, and myself. Uh, three generations Rookies of the Year at Indy. So all these things as a family um, are, are things that only us, as a family can appreciate and uh and do we for sure i mean uh, that's where i say you know how awesome how wonderful the sport has been to us and you mentioned how family is uh, extremely important to you how special was that 1991 indianapolis 500 just for your entire family well again it's, it's a matter of so much pride going into that you know and uh, uh, again, uh, you look back at moments like that with, uh, uh, you know, with just awe and uh, uh, emotion. Uh, figure out how sweet is was that, you know? And, and it's something that you can't even plan. And it just that he, it either happens or it doesn't. But when it does, you look back and figure, you know, at the time we we're all busy. Now I look back and say, man, how sweet is that? Because uh, you know, it never happened before or since, you know, with four members of the same family uh, being in that, in that race for two years, two years in a row. In your eyes, what makes the sport of IndyCar unique and different compared to any other sport in the world? Well, I, I, I cannot, um, you know, uh, compare it to any other sport in the world. I can compare it to motor racing. Uh, the, the sport of motor racing, it, it, I think uh, what uh, makes Indy, uh, IndyCar series uh, different and, 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 and stand alone uh, at the top level of, our, of motorsports is the, the versatility aspect. You know, Formula One basically specializes in road racing, um, and uh, and and that's that's a stock are primarily except for a couple of road right they're basically ovals um and uh you know sports prototypes you know road racing and indycar is the only one that just really spread they spread their wings everywhere it's the most versatile of all the top series and uh and arguably uh i'll argue against anyone that uh the Indian IndyCar champion is the most versatile champion, most complete champion of any series, motorsport series on the globe. So um, I think there's something very special about IndyCar racing. And uh, 
that's why I, I love it so much personally. Now, with Roger Penske owning the Brickyard in the IndyCar series now, how big of an influence do you see him having on the trajectory of the sport as a whole? Uh, I didn't catch the first part of your question. Oh, uh, with Roger Penske owning the Brickyard. Oh, Penske. Okay, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's uh, it's fabulous, fantastic, and they're just uh, uh, you know I bleed inside, you know, to see that uh, we didn't get started. You know, it uh, uh, he uh, it's such a huge commitment for him to. I mean, not you know, not only to buy and be the steward of Indianapolis, the, 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 that event, the race there, and, and that property, but also the series. And it's just the right, right guy, and to to do this. And that's why uh, I can hardly wait to get things started because uh, uh, with uh, Roger at the helm, uh, things are just going to flourish for sure. It's a definite, definitely, hundred percent a step forward for the series and uh like i said uh, the only thing, the only setback has been something that no one could control you know this pandemic and uh but we get it we get through it i just can like i said that's why i'm really really chomping at the bit to get going what do you feel are some things that indycar should do in the near future just to help the sport get back to where close to where they were uh, prior to the cart irl split we just got to get going. We just get racing, you know, and then a lot of things will take care of themselves. And, uh, uh, we just got to get, uh, got to get started. The, uh, IndyCar series has got so much to offer, you know, so many talents and new talents coming in there and they have to prove themselves. I'm looking at, uh, some of these youngsters that, uh, you know, came, came out of, uh, uh, the Indy lights, you know, with some great talents, uh, uh, all of a sudden they're at, at, at the top level and see how they will do vis-a-vis uh, -vis the, the, the veterans, which are still young and at the top of their game, um, you know, and, you know, watching the Pato Rock and watching uh, Oliver Askew, watching that Colton Herda, some of these guys that uh, and Colton Herda in the second season already proven winner, uh, I mean, it's, uh, and then I'm waiting with an anxiously, you know, I, I know the sooner or later, you know, we're, we're going to see, uh, you know, uh, well, anyway, I just, uh, um, the, as I said, there's, there's so much, so much to look forward to. Now recently, iRacing has become the go-to for race fans looking to get any kind of entertainment amid the pandemic. Uh, what are your thoughts on iRacing, and how do you see it changing the landscape for motorsports in the future? Well, I don't know if iRacing is going to change the landscape, but uh, it's, a, it's a great addition to it. Uh, I assume that uh, um, now that uh, pretty much uh, everyone is just uh, beginning to really put their arms around it, uh, uh, I would suspect in the off season you might see uh, some of that happening just to keep uh, racing, you know, uh, before the fans and uh, and so uh, yeah, I think it's just another aspect of our sport, you know, to uh, to have some fun with it um, and uh, but again that that's what I see and, and and thanks to that you know sometimes it just uh, Breaks the monoton monot was uh, monotony, uh, you know, and on 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 the weekend on Saturday and Sunday by watching IndyCar and 
and uh, NASCAR and some Formula One and all of that. So, uh, I mean, you can even, they even do some dirt track racing and whatever. So, uh, keep some of the fans pacified. And looking at the generation of racers that are in the series, in your eyes, how do you feel you would stack up against the competition if you were just getting into IndyCar alongside these other guys? Well, that's hard to say, but uh, I always say that uh, uh, the champions of uh, of the past would be champions today and vice versa. You know, uh, I think uh, there's certain quality and certain people that uh, no matter what, the, you know, the periods, the eras, uh, I think uh, those are the people that would excel regardless. From your perspective, and, uh, I don't know oh, if sorry. I I don't know if I answer your question, but I don't know. What, I know that uh, you know with my desire, uh, you know, I was still somehow I would be able to mix it up. Believe me. Oh yeah, definitely. Uh, just from your perspective, what has changed about racing in IndyCar in terms of just the car handling, setting up the car, just from the mechanical side of things, and just other various aspects. Well, David, all those things, it evolves. Uh, Those things evolve in a sport. Obviously, uh, uh, with computers and all that, uh, you know, there's uh, much, much more widespread knowledge. So uh, it, uh, I think it tightens the field to some degree. Uh, It's hard to just come out there with a clear advantage uh, on the technical side. So a lot of it is in the hands of the drivers. But, uh, but that's a normal aspect of it. You know, again, uh, it's all an evolution. Uh, still, you know, the, the drivers are the ones uh, in charge. And, uh, but the, the good thing about, like I said, even the spec racing, if you will, I think it puts a lot more and much more onus on the drivers themselves uh, because uh, so many others, you know, have pretty much the same platform to work with and um, and that's a good thing i mean from the spectator standpoint that's that's awesome and look at the, what the uh, series are all doing by uh, obviously uh limiting uh uh the, what you the abuse of the race engines you know the limiting the revs and all of that um it makes the engines much more reliable so it gives you a uh, better chance than ever, you know, to finish the races, uh, as, you know, uh, but for a mistake or something like that. But uh, from a technical standpoint, you know, the, the, the reliability of today's car is something great to see uh, in every form of motorsports. I mean, it always used to be that um, uh, the the reliability factor you know, was a big key, you know, just to finish the race. And now, uh, even the long distance races, uh, you know, you can go pretty much uh, uh, almost 10 tenths all the way because, uh, you know, and that's a good thing. That's something uh, great for the, uh, you know, for, for your fans to, to enjoy. Um, so, again, I think the sport has just uh, has evolved uh I think in the right way, in my opinion. Uh, so uh, it's a lot to look forward to, a lot of good things to look forward to now and in the future. And this one last question. Uh, the movie Ford versus Ferrari came out a couple months ago. What were your thoughts on the movie's authenticity, and what was your role with Ford during their 1966 Le Mans effort? Well, uh, I'll start with my role in the 66. It was my rookie year, you know, and uh, – uh, 
in, in long distance uh, uh, sports prototypes, and I was part of that uh, very ambitious program they had because uh, I was doing a lot of testing and uh, and really getting my feet wet in road racing. So um, again, I was just I uh, was great. I was uh, really uh, uh, thankful to to be to be able to be part of that uh, very ambitious program and. Uh, and as far as the movie itself, uh, I mean, uh, you know, when you talk about a movie, the uh, the authenticity of it is, uh, you know, leaves a bit to be desired. I think uh, the 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 general aspect of the story, you know, is pretty much uh, correct. Uh, uh, how it was all displayed, I think, uh, you know, from a uh, standpoint of, um, you know, when you ask someone like myself, you know, that. That knew of the inside and outs and so forth. You know, it's tough to uh, to be. Uh, <laughs> I'd rather not be a critic of something like that. I think it was uh, it was fun to watch. Um, most people that have, uh, you know, that I talked to, they really enjoy the film, and and that and that's the important part. Uh, Mr. Andretti, thank you so much just for coming on to the show. It's been an absolute pleasure being able to speak with you today. Well, my pleasure, David. Anytime. Thank you. You have a good day, sir. I hope you guys enjoyed this interview with the iconic Mario Andretti and enjoyed listening to all of his stories and motorsports knowledge that he has. I'd like to thank Mr. Andretti for coming on and I really appreciate Mario taking the time out of his day to sit down with me. I'd also like to give a special thanks to his publicist, Patty Reed, for making this happen as well. Before I go, make sure to follow this podcast on Twitter, at BehindCatch, and Instagram, at Behind underscore the underscore catch underscore fence. Thanks for listening. I'll catch you guys later.